Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. our sister podcast firmly believe that movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just an activity. That's why Moving to Live brings you interviews with a wide variety of fitness and movement professionals, all of whom understand the importance of movement. We try to interview people across disciplines so we can work to break down knowledge silos. If you like what you hear, leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts or drop us an email or a message in social media letting us know what you think. We always like to hear from our listeners. Today we've got an interesting interview coming up. It's part one of our interview with Jonathan Levitt of Inside Tractor. John talks to us about his career as a runner, transitioning to a trail runner, and how he got started with Inside Tracker. If you don't know what Inside Tracker is, we'll cover it briefly in part one of this interview. And in part two, coming in two weeks, we'll discuss in more detail what Inside Tracker is and how you could possibly use it as part of your movement practice. Welcome back to another edition of Moving to Live. One of the most interesting parts of doing a podcast is getting connected with people who are doing interesting things and having interesting stories. As I mentioned a couple of moments ago, thanks to Joe Bauer of All Around Joe for connecting me with Jonathan Levitt. Jonathan is an active guy on Twitter. I think I've been following him on Twitter for at least a year. And it's always good retweets. He is also involved with Inside Tracker, which we'll talk more about in the second part of the interview. And he has actually started his own podcast recently, his first edition or his first uh, podcast interview released today. The podcast is for the long run. So if you're a podcast listener, which you are, if you're listening to this, check out his podcast. He'll have some interesting uh, guests, some elite athletes. John, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I know my question, I always start out asking uh, Moving to Live guests is you're in an elevator, you're wearing your inside tracker shirt or you're wearing a hat and somebody says, what do you do? What's your elevator speech of what you do? Literally the elevator pitch. Um, I work for a company that provides personalized guidance on nutrition and lifestyle to help take uh, health and performance to the next level. 
And then if you've got Pun intended with the elevator there, <laughs> fun intended with the elevator. And how long have you done that? Um, I've been with Inside Tracker for just over four years now. And out of curiosity, we'll get into this a little more. What was your, what did you do before that? Uh, I was working at another company in the sports nutrition field, growing uh, brand ambassador program. Great. So I always like to start at the beginning and I know from following you on Twitter and the fact that uh, seeing some of the races that you've posted and some of the retweets that you are an active athlete yourself. Growing up, were you an active person? Were you an athlete where mom and dad said, get out of the house or mom and dad were active or is this something you found later in life in high school or college? Yeah. So my dad's been a cyclist, I think ever since he could walk. Um, And growing up, I did a lot of riding with him and I absolutely hated running and I played hockey and baseball. I was never really, I was, I was decent at baseball. I was pretty bad at hockey. Um, but I played it cause I liked it and baseball I was, I was decent at. Um, but I didn't really sort of find my, find my sport until I, until I started running. Um, and, uh, so it's never been, it was never, you know, activity was never pushed on me. It was always something that was part of my, part of my childhood, part of growing up. I, you know, played ball with my grandparents, things like that. Um, so yeah, it's just been a, it's been a part of my life. And how old were you when you decided or that you found that running was your sport? Um, so I, I started getting serious about, or I started running probably 2012, 2013. I started getting serious about it um, towards the end of 2013. But um, I was watching the Boston Marathon in 2013, and I was watching from Wellesley, which is the halfway point. And I was thinking to myself, look at all these people that are different shapes and sizes, and they're all running a marathon. You know, if those people can do it, I can do it. Um, fast forward a few hours and, and the bombing happened. And um, being someone that grew up in Boston and having a lot of hometown pride, uh, it was a really weird time. And the way I dealt with it the next day was I went out for a run. Um, I drove into, I was living in Needham, so uh, about 30 minutes west of Boston. I drove into Newton, which is uh, the the site of all the, the beautiful hills in the Boston Marathon course. Parked my car, and uh, from the basically the top of, of Heartbreak Hill, I ran into Boston uh, and just observed like what was going on. There were SWAT teams everywhere. There were police everywhere. Um, probably wasn't the best idea to be out running, but I put on my blue and yellow and I, and I, I went for a run and I ran, I ran a half marathon that day. Um, totally untrained. Uh, wouldn't recommend it. Um, but it was, it was what I, what I wanted to do on that day. And, um, it was really empowering. And I was like, wow, that's the longest I've ever run. Uh, this is pretty cool. Um, the reason I say I don't recommend going, you know, zero to half marathon is because I got a stress fracture. <laughs> um, so I didn't run for, a, you know, a bit after that. But uh, when I came back from it, I, I started to get much more serious about it. And I became friendly with a lot of people um, that were more experienced runners and better runners in the Boston area and uh, went down that rabbit hole and haven't looked up since. And I'm curious, while you were doing that half marathon along the Boston Marathon course, was there a thought, I'd like to do a marathon someday, or I know you're training for an ultra marathon now, a 50K, and you've done at least one in the past. 
a lot of people, when they start out running, the idea is, well, if I can do a 5K, that'll be good. Or if I could do a 10K. Or here in Pittsburgh, we have coming up in May, not as big as the Boston Marathon, but we have the uh, Pittsburgh Marathon and Half Marathon. And a lot of people, that's their goal that they train for. Um, but they also have a 10K so that people are able to do it. Was your th- What was your thought process behind deciding, you know, I'm not going to do the 5K. I'm not going to do the 10K. I'm going to be a marathoner and I'm going to run farther. So... Um, like I said earlier that day, I, I decided I wanted to run a marathon and I'm now I'm in this group of athletes, um, through November project, through trail running and and things like that, where it's just a culture of more and, and it, for better, for worse, it motivates you to just do more. And so I have a lot of friends that have signed up for marathons because everybody else was doing it. Like imagine you know, being the only non-marathoner in, in your group of running friends, there's a little bit of pressure to do it. I never felt that pressure externally. I felt it like, holy shit, this is something I really want to do. Um, so much so that I was like, what if I just run a marathon today? And like that, I knew nothing about fueling. I knew nothing about um, biomechanics. I knew nothing about um, recovery, anything. And I didn't, I didn't set out to run a half marathon. I set out to run to the finish line, turn around and get back in my car. Um, it ended up being like exactly 13.1. Um, I didn't run the route properly. So I went over a hill and I was like, holy crap, I can't imagine that they put this in the marathon. Um, but I went up Com Ave instead of down Beacon Street, um, which is ironically now where I live. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I... I I was motivated from the beginning to to do it uh, and just to see what you know what I was capable of and then so that next May I ran my first marathon not not the not the next month like thirteen months later so I think that's one thing that's important for people who are listening to this who maybe aren't in the profession but are movement aficionados taking the time to prepare for a marathon I know you said you ran a half marathon on essentially. Uh, on no training, right? And gave yourself a stress fracture. How long after that did you realize? You know, if I'm going to run a marathon, it's going to take me a few months, actually a little bit over a year, to be properly trained for it. Yeah. So I kept. So I I quickly was like thrown into this um, uh, community with November Project, which is a grassroots fitness movement that started in Boston in 2011. And so this was 2013. So a couple years after it had started. And I was doing everything and I was, you know, yes, I'm doing that workout. Yes, I'm doing this workout. Uh, Yeah, long run. Yeah, all this, all this stuff. And I kept getting injured because I didn't realize the value of like easy days. I was going hard literally all the time. Um, Like what's the point of, you know, going easy when I can go hard? Um, (laughs) And so um, I ended up uh, connecting with a running coach who followed me on Twitter. He was like, dude, you're injured all the time. Like, I can fix that. Um, so I started working with a coach and and uh, uh, his name is Steven Stam. And he really helped me uh, start to love running and get out of that cycle of um, this hurts, but I'm just going to run through it or, or this hurts and now I can't run. Um, and so we took, I don't know, five months of uh, dedicated training to get to that marathon. 
And I think that's something I've talked to a number of people who are runners and kind of the running joke among many people of runners is there's two groups of runners, those who are injured and those who are not injured right now. Right. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And it seems that as you progress in age, as people get older, they're easier for them to get injured, but you also start to get a little bit of humility as it sounds like you got and you realize, oh, maybe I don't know everything or maybe just because it isn't a gut-wrenching workout where I finish up on the couch with a pint of ice cream because I don't have any energy, maybe there's some benefit to not having every single workout like that. Yeah, and I've learned, I've, I've done my uh, fair share of, um, of, of that. <laughs> and I, I'd like to think that I've finally learned. I'm working with another coach now and I've been with him for, since last July. And our approach is pretty much like a low-risk conservative approach focused on consistency over the long term versus you know gut busting and and punishing punishing workouts you know every week and i'm healthier than ever before and and i i'm open to adapting and you know dropping a workout if you know i'm not feeling 90% or whatever um and it's just interesting like what you learn and you have to learn like you can't just tell people you just have to fail and <laughs> learn the lesson over and over and over and over again uh before it it finally hits home that like okay sure you can take an extra day off and it's not the end of the world uh and those rest days save seasons and i'm curious i know we were chatting a little bit before we started recording and you were training for an ultra marathon that's a trail run now and i know they're very often people who are runners especially if they live in cities it's sometimes hard to get to trails. And I know many people who are runners like, well, I don't want to do trails. It's too easy to trip and fall and hurt myself. And then there's another group who basically says trails are where it's at. I avoid uh, being on the road at all possible. I've always been a, a fan of the trails and I do a lot of my running with two of my dogs. And this summer I switched literally 100% to trails because one of my dogs, uh, had some muscle problems and I was amazed even though intellectually I knew this as a fitness professional I have significantly less pain and actually enjoy my running more than I did when I was mixing hard surfaces and soft surfaces yeah it's wild how that works um so for the last handful of years I've been training for road racing road races particularly marathons so you know you do these punishing 18 20 22 mile runs and you can't walk the next day and, you know, I would have a 30 minute run scheduled and it would feel awful. Um, but you do it for, for the, those adaptations, for the easy work, things like that. Um, and I was running 40, 45, maybe 50 miles a week. And, um, and, and so training for a 50 K last fall, um, I moved half my miles over to the trails and so I was running 55 to 75, 72 miles in the week. So significantly more, but half of those miles were on trails. And I would run three, four hours on Saturday and then run 90 minutes on Sunday. So I was doing between 18 to 22 on, on a Saturday and then following that up with uh, 10 to 13 on Sunday. But those 10 to 13 miles felt incredible after running for four hours the day before, which was like the first few times I did it was, it was mind blowing to me that like you could feel that good after a long run. Um, And I definitely credit that 
uh, and the, the softness of the trails to, you know, how good I felt despite running 20 to 30 more miles a week. And I know you can probably speak of this too. I know that there's a fair number of elite uh, 10,000 meter and marathon road racers who do the majority of their training on trails just for that very reason you said. There's less pounding, there's less stress in the body. And some of them are doing twice or maybe even more than twice of the mileage, which you're describing. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because um, the more that I, I get to know some of these coaches or athletes that are at that level, they're doing workouts and they're doing, um, they're doing workouts and they're doing long runs on dirt roads and they're, they're looking for dirt uh, instead of, instead of pavement, despite training for road racing. I was out in Flagstaff and uh, one of the most popular areas for workouts is a place called Buffalo Park where some of the the world's elite most elite athletes train. You get Olympians, you get, you know, the highest of high level athletes and it's a it's a dirt loop um with some gravel and and it's at 7000 feet so it's pretty freaking hard. Um but it's it's not a road. It's not a track. You're not running in circles, you know, around a 400 meter loop. Uh, you're running a you're running you know mile and a half loop around mountains, and it's gorgeous. So you have this like, holy shit, this is a beautiful place. I'm having you know I'm I'm enjoying uh, I'm enjoying the run, and you get the benefit of the terrain is is less uh, taxing. I know moving to live in our sister podcast, Fit Lab PGH, we want to promote the idea or the message that movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. And one of the things is whatever your movement of choice is, if you're injured, you can't participate in that. It right. sounds like what you're doing uh, with your running groups and having a coach and a group of runners who get together is you found people who, when you say, yeah, I have to go to bed early on a Friday night because I've got a long run on Saturday, you have people who are probably saying, oh, yeah, I'll see you then rather than, oh, just stay out and have another beer. Yeah, they're like, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm down to leave right now, too. It's funny, like, I used to, you know, I used to go out at 1030 at night on a Friday, and now I'm, like, usually asleep at that time. <laughs> I'm curious because I know that uh, there's a huge rate of injury among runners. What was your perception or what was your uh, response when you first started running on softer surfaces? And was this something you thought I need to do this as I train for the longer distances? Or was this something that your coach introduced to you? Uh, it was something my coach introduced to me, uh, but training for a trail race, it was just necessary to, to do that. Um, I think that, that there should, that most runners should have a two and a half hour limit on roads, um, no matter what you're training for, unless you're training for a road 50 miler, which is a pretty niche uh, group of people. Um, if you're training for a road marathon, the the benefits or the the potential risks outweigh the benefits, no matter if you're running a three-hour marathon, a four-hour marathon, five, six, seven-hour marathon. Um, but if you're on the trails, like I was doing four and a half hours covering 23 miles, and um, <laughs> you feel great, like – not only do you feel great, but like you can do things the rest of the day and you can do things the next day. Um, and this was this, I wasn't expecting that I was expecting to be totally trashed from, from doing that. But if you feel properly, you eat enough, uh, in and out of training, um, it's totally sustainable. It just takes up more time. <laughs> I know one of the things as a, somebody who is an athlete that's difficult is to 
be objective about your own training. And so many athletes are who aren't at the elite level are self-coached. What was the decision that made you seek out a coach or was it the coach approaching you and saying, hey, I can help you prevent getting injured? Yeah, it was the latter. Um, I, I was like, I'm a 23-year-old amateur runner. What do I need a coach for? Um, and he was like, because you're injured all the time and you're trying to do everything. Um, so I was like, mm, yeah, you're right. Um, and so I was with him for four years, four-ish years, and progressed way more than I would have ever imagined. Um, in all sorts of areas and really started loving the process and started loving training and running in general. Um, and then switching to a different focus, uh, I ended up switching coaches and, and, uh, I couldn't imagine not having a coach at this point. I mean, I travel a lot for work and one of the biggest benefits of having a coach is how he can adapt the workouts and adapt training to uh life stress and that's one of the biggest things that people don't realize that travel like i'm going to california next week sitting in an airplane for six and a half hours isn't an easy day that's a stressful day no matter if you're you know sitting in first class or not i'm not but (laughs) i wish um so i normally do a workout on wednesdays and um so he'll he'll switch around the the training based on um, based on what what my schedule looks like. So I, I'm spectating a race. So we're switching uh, we're switching the long run to to like I'll have more time with trail runners, and instead of you know doing one longer run, I'm going to do more uh, shorter runs with with people. So it's it's a different. Um, sort of a different approach, but like, I don't have the, the intellectual capacity to put together a training program that is, uh, optimal for all these different variables. Uh, whereas he does. I'm curious. I know that you work for inside tracker. We'll talk more about that in two weeks when we do part two of the interview. In addition to the, uh, blood tests that you have that give you blood values through inside tracker. Do you do any other things to track your training physiologically, uh, HRV resting heart rate, something else, sleep quality. I was doing HRV for a while, a couple of years ago. Um, the Garmin has the resting heart rate, uh, that I like to track. And I always know when I'm about to get sick, uh, because it, it, it spikes. Um, so sometimes when, when I see it going up, and I'm, you know, starting to not feel great, I'll use the data to sort of validate how I'm feeling and back off a little bit or sleep more or something like that. Um, I've just started using an app called Sleep Cycle that evaluates uh, sleep quality. And so with with the paid version, you can um, you can make notes on what you did in that day. So like sauna or coffee after 2 p.m. or no coffee after 2 p.m. or had alcohol or long run, whatever. So you you can start to – took magnesium before bed, vitamin D, et cetera. Um, So you can start to see these trends around what improves sleep quality and what doesn't improve sleep quality or what detracts from sleep quality. Um, So I find it interesting, and particularly on long run days, I'll do the things that I've seen uh, helping improve sleep quality – or on a workout day, I'll make sure I'm doing these things. Um, 
in order to, to maximize. I'm curious about that. I had the good fortune to interview Dr. Ian Dunnigan, who's a sleep researcher in Australia. And we talked a lot about the things that affect sleep. And one of the things prior to interviewing him that I thought didn't affect me was blue light from electronic devices. I was like, ah, that doesn't affect me. And after talking to him, I made the decision. It's like, well, I'm going to just see what happens if I stop using these electronic devices about an hour and a half before bed. So I stay off God the computer. <laughs> I stay off the iPad. Um, now, I will confess, I've gone to a Kindle uh, paper, paper white with blue blocker glasses. So I yep. haven't gone completely. But I was shocked at two things. Number one, how much faster I fell asleep. And number two, how much better quality uh, using the Aura Ring, which I'm using for sleep tracking, my sleep quality was. I still struggle with waking up at times, but I was amazed that something I thought didn't affect me yeah. actually did. I'm curious with what you do, what are the one or two things that if you know, if I do this, I'm either going to get a better night's sleep or conversely, I'm going to get a worse night's sleep. So um, I also have the blue light blockers. I don't have the problem around uh, falling asleep quickly. I'm, I always fall asleep fairly quickly. Um, but the sleep quality is always one that I, work, I, I would like to work on. And I'm on my phone right before I go to bed. It's a, it's a plague and I, I, can't, I can't stop with it. Um, but that's something that, that I like keep meaning to try. I just need to do it. Uh, in terms of the things that I do that I know work, um, magnesium, vitamin D before bed, um, I use a magnesium gel on my legs, um, which helps. I, I know from Inside Tracker that my magnesium levels are low, so I'm always you know, trying to do things to increase that level, and the um, topical magnesium is one of the best ways to, to get that up, uh, besides all the dark chocolate, obviously. Um, I, I, have to, I have to ask favorite dark chocolate then because I'm a dark chocolate aficionado. Yeah, I like a brand called Choco Love and it's like a 77%. It's super rich um, and it's just delicious. See, the bad thing about doing podcasts is now I have to look up the Sleep Cycle app and now I have to search, <laughs> out, search out another chocolate. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start billing all my guests for the things yeah, that I have yeah. to start looking at. <laughs> Yeah, this podcast is sponsored by Chocolate Love. You'll be receiving a, a box of 30 of them. <laughs> so it's very clear that you take movement seriously and that movement really is your lifestyle. You've done a really good job of describing how you got into running. I'm curious how you got into working in the uh, movement slash fitness slash wellness field. What, what did you major in in college? So I majored in sport management and marketing. Uh, I thought I wanted to work for a team. Um, I interviewed, I, uh, interned for the Boston Bruins in, uh, going to my senior year of college, which basically had me realize I didn't want to work for a team. Um, so, so I, I then decided I wanted to work on the brand side in the sport industry. Um, and I didn't know what that meant. My, if you had asked me in college what my dream job would have been, it would have been social media for, for Dunkin' Donuts. Um, I don't know why, but that, that, was, that was sort of my holy grail. Um, and uh, you can tell I'm from New England. Um, and I had an interview with, with this company that I ended up working with out of college. And our, the product was uh, spirulina and chlorella algae position for athletes um and 
we were working with marathoners, we were working with Olympians, we were working with NHL players. Uh, I went to the Sochi Olympics. And so we were doing all these really cool things um, around sport performance. And like I said, the majority of our customers were marathoners. And people kept asking these questions. How do you use this for marathon? Well, this is what other people say. Um, and so that sort of played a part in deciding to actually sign up for marathon. I was like, well, I'm telling people how to use it, but I don't really know. So I may as well just, just do it. Um, so I did. Um, and then getting to inside tracker, uh, I, right place, right time. I was at an event that they were sponsoring my dad and I went to it. Uh, he was like, yeah, check, check out this event. The event was put on by a group called executive athletes. Um, so I was the youngest in the, in the place by, I don't know, 20 years, um, 10 years. I don't know. And I was telling the, the CEO and, and founder about what I was doing for work. And they were like, okay, why don't we hire you? Um, so that was, <laughs> I was like, I like my job, but I'm open to conversation. Uh, and, and a couple of weeks later I was working on inside tracker. We've been talking to John Levitt. He works for Inside Tracker and has just released his first episode of his podcast for the long run. So check it out if you want to hear about uh, high-level athletes and individuals talk about what keeps them motivated. We're going to come back in two weeks and talk to John more about what Inside Tracker is and how for active people it can potentially benefit not only their quality of life, but if they're athletes, they're training. John, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to Moving to Live. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.